0: Hello residents. My name is Mike Estefan. I'm joined today not only by Maddie Watts, but also by a special guest, Maris Schuwarger. We thank you for downloading this month's episode of the EM Clerkship Podcast. This episode is sponsored by Pearson Rabbitts Insurance, my personal independent disability insurance agent. We will talk more about Pearson Rabbits later in the episode, but for now let's get into it. Today is round number 12 of the game. Maddie will need to perform today's case in real ABEM oral boards format. She has 15 minutes to complete the full case and she does not know what this case is ahead of time. If Maddie hits all of the critical actions that I've listed out beforehand, she wins. If she doesn't, or if she performs a dangerous action, I win. These cases were created by me. They are not derived from actual ABEM cases that I had, and they are not real patients. Maddie, how are you doing today?
1: I'm good. How about you?
0: I am doing well. I am very excited for today's episode. You should be nervous.
1: I was about to say, I do not (laughs) know what this uh, surprise guest has in store for me. So I am a little bit nervous. (laughs)
0: No, you're going to do fine. You're going to do just fine. Okay, Maddie, take out a piece of paper and a pencil. Place the paper sideways in front of you, outline a human body on the left side of it, and let me know when you are ready. I am ready to go. Dr. Watts, this will be a single patient encounter. You will have 15 minutes to complete the case. Before we begin, do you have any questions? Nope. I am starting the timer right now and the timer has started Maddie Watts you are working at clerkship general when you hear an EMS call on the base command radio clerkship general we are bringing you a nearly unresponsive six-year-old found foaming at the mouth by her babysitter ETA two minutes and this is the, the nurse at clerkship general. Is there anything you would like to prepare while we await the arrival of the patient and EMS?
1: Um, yes. So I would like to have my airway supplies, which I can get together. I would like to be prepared to put patient on in connect them to the monitor. Um, and then let's see. Um, I'm concerned that they could be seizing, that they could have had a foreign body aspiration Or maybe some trauma. Um, And then let's have our Braslow tape ready. I think that's about it for right now.
0: Okay. We'll uh, prep the resuscitation bay. And it looks like uh, EMS just pulled into the ambulance bay.
1: All right. So, Hey, Doc. Go ahead.
0: Hey, Doc. This is Ashley. Her babysitter said that she had just laid down to take a nap about two hours ago, and she reportedly was doing fine at that time. She went to check on her and uh, couldn't wake Ashley up, apparently found her foaming at the mouth or something like that. But on our arrival, she was taking pretty rapid, shallow breaths. She was only breathing 70% on room air. She had a bunch of frothy secretions. She seemed pretty out of it, Doc. The babysitter was right behind us. She should be here any minute to answer any of your questions. Actually, it looks like she's here now. She's all yours if you have any questions.
1: All right. Um, And what is patient's current vital signs and what GCS did you get en route?
0: Um, The nurse is getting a set of vitals right now. EMS uh, only got a heart rate of 65. Uh, They kind of rushed her here, but uh, the nurse obtains a fresh set of vital signs, heart rate of 62, a respiratory rate of 34 with rapid shallow breaths, a blood pressure of 125 over 80, O2 saturation of 81% currently on a non-rebreather placed by EMS.
1: All right. So um, if my nurse can work on putting patient on high-flow nasal cannula, since we're not getting the saturations that we want on the non-rebreather, and then is patient awake or um, interacting with us at all, just looking at them?
0: Um, The patient is pretty somnolent um looking at them she appears covered in stool urine and vomit
1: all right um so when i'm just going to assess my airway breathing and circulation before i talk to the babysitter so um you said there's some foaming at the mouth um do i hear bilateral breath sounds any strider or wheezing
0: uh, you do hear bilateral breath sounds. There is no strider, There is no wheezing, but there are rails in all lung fields.
1: Okay. When I open the patient's mouth, do I see any foreign body or like vomit or anything in the airway?
0: Uh, you do not see any evidence of an airway obstruction.
1: Okay. Um, and then do I have good peripheral pulses?
0: You have great peripheral pulses.
1: Okay. Um, and then... Um, are patients' eyes opened or closed?
0: Her eyes only open to pain.
1: Okay. Does she have any eye deviation? No. Okay. Um and will she um move all of her extremities to pain or spontaneously?
0: Yeah, she withdraws to pain. And okay. she's making incomprehensible sounds for a GCS of eight.
1: Okay. Um, and then the babysitter, I turned to her, um, does she know if Ashley has any medical problems? Oh my God. Is Ashley okay? I'm very worried about her. Um, does she have any history of seizures?
2: Um, I, I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, Her parents didn't tell me that she has any medical history or anything. I've never seen her have seizures.
1: Okay. Um, and she was feeling well earlier today. No fevers or illnesses.
2: Yeah, she was fine. Like literally just two hours ago. I, oh my God, I made her a bowl of milk and cereal. Nothing was out of the ordinary. We were having a great day. And then she laid down for nap time and I went to go and check on her and I couldn't wake her up. I don't, I don't understand what's going on. I called her dad. Um, he said that she's otherwise healthy. He's on his way here, but I, I'm just, I, I don't know what's going on.
1: Yeah, I'm sure that was really scary for her, you to find her like this, but you did the right thing bringing her here to the hospital. Um, we're going to have to move pretty quickly so that we can take the best care of her, um, but we'll keep you updated, and thanks for all you've done for her so far. Yeah,
2: of course.
1: Um, So I think right now um, we need to move forward with protecting this patient's airway. Um, so I think we need to move forward with intubation um, before we do anything else. So... Um, do we know if Ashley has any allergies?
2: Um, so I called her dad, and uh, she said he, he said that she doesn't have any allergies or anything like that. Um, but but he was pretty worked up, so I'm, I don't know anything else.
1: Okay. Um, so since we've put her on the high flow nasal cannula, have we haven't had any improvement in our oxygen saturations?
0: No, if anything, it, it looks like she's tiring out. Her respiratory rate has dropped to about 12, and she's setting about 65% currently.
1: Okay. And then also, do are we seeing any rhythmic movement of the extremities or any suggestion of seizure activity? No. Okay. So I think this is probably more respiratory, um, and with her tiring out, I think we need to prepare for intubation. Um, so... I would like our nurse to go ahead and pull up medications and um I think I'm gonna use um since I just don't know her history um I think I'm actually gonna use ketamine and rocuronium I thought about sucks, but I just don't know if she has any like muscular dystrophy or anything like that I don't think she does but um I think I'm still gonna use rock and ketamine um do we have her weight
0: uh, we do have her weight. We also have a Braslow at bedside as you requested. Um, her okay. weight is 22 kilograms, and she is blue by Braslow.
1: Okay. Um, so let's pull up um, one mg per keg of ketamine, um, and then um, we can do um, also one mg per keg of rockuronium. Um, Sounds good. And then, um, go ahead. I'm going to get two suctions. I'd like to go ahead and suction her out. I'd like to keep her on the nasal cannula um, for pre-oxygenation and apneic oxygenation. Um, And then I would like to get our video laryngoscope ready, have a um, direct blade ready as well, and also have an LMA um, and some oral and nasal airways. So we have multiple different options. And then lastly, a pediatric bougie.
0: Hey, Doc, um, what size blade do you want? What type of blade do you want? And what size tube do you want?
1: Yeah, so she's six. So um, I can't remember if it's a MAC-2 or a MAC-3. Um, I. Th-
0: Bra- based on your Braslow, it says a two.
1: Okay, so let's get a MAC-2. I feel more comfortable with MAC than Miller, and I think at this age it would be appropriate to still use a MAC. Um, and then her tube size um it's oh gosh now I can't remember it I think it's age plus four divided by two but now I can't remember oh gosh <laughs> um <laughs> I I think she'd probably be around a 50 I usually check my PD stat app before I do this um, based off we, of her Braslow
0: we will grab a 5o okay. okay
1: and then let's have a, a a four, five, and a four O as well. Um,
0: okay, you intubate the patient successfully. How deep do you want to advance the endotracheal tube?
1: Um, so she, if I did a five O, um, I would do to fifteen at the lip.
0: Perfect. Okay, she is intubated. You hear bilateral breath sounds.
1: Okay. Awesome. So, um, let's call for portable chest X-ray and have a chest x-ray both to confirm our endotracheal tube and because I'm concerned about lung pathology in her. Um, and then for sedation, um, is her blood pressure still um, systolics in the 120s? Can we recycle our vital signs?
0: Repeat vitals show a blood pressure of 95 over 60, a heart rate of 62, and O2 set currently of 84% with an FiO2 of 100% and a respiratory rate of 20 vent controlled, and lots of secretions coming from that endotracheal tube.
1: Okay. Um, so let's, we can do propofol for sedation. Um, let's get a VBG um, and a CBC, a um, BMP, and an EKG. Um, and then call for chest x-ray.
0: Chest x-ray has already already been sent and uh, doc, it looks like the the father's here. Would you like to speak okay. with him?
1: Yes, I would.
0: Okay. So the the father arrives in the room where the the babysitter is still currently with the patient. What the heck did you do to my daughter?
2: I'm so sorry. I didn't do anything, I swear. All I did was make her a bowl of milk and cereal and I put her to sleep.
0: Where did you get this milk? I'm lactose intolerant. We don't have milk in the house.
2: What are you talking about? There was milk in the glass jar that you left on the counter.
0: You idiot! Did you not notice that the jar of milk was not cold? That was not milk in the jar. That was pesticide for my farm.
2: What? Why would you leave your pesticide in an unlabeled glass jar on the counter next to the fridge? I'm the idiot? This is all your fault!
0: And uh, at that point, security had to remove the father from the room because he was starting to get aggressive.
1: Oh, okay. Um, Am I able to talk to him outside of the room um, at a later point? Can they make sure that he doesn't leave? Uh, sure. Okay. Um, so I definitely want to figure out what exactly she was given. But for right now, I think she still needs to be further stabilized. The, so the father,
0: cl- the father clarifies it was an organophosphate-based in- pesticide.
1: Okay. Oh, God. <laughs> okay. Um, so I am looking at her chest x-ray now. Um, just going um, from kind of top to bottom. Her trachea looks midline. Her endotracheal tube um looks like it's a couple centimeters above the carina um her lung fields bilaterally look relatively clear um she's got crisp diaphragmatic diaphrag- angles um really I don't see anything obvious to explain these secretions that she's having um and then have we gotten our VBG
0: Um, yeah, her, her labs are cooking right now. There, there's actually a holdup in the laboratory. So things are going to take a little bit, but the, uh, the, the nurse is a little concerned. Hey doc, there, there are a ton of secretions coming from this endotracheal tube. I am suctioning, but I, I can't keep up and the patient is still hypoxemic. Is there something else we can do?
1: Um, so what is our peep on?
0: Uh, currently a peep of eight.
1: Okay, um, I feel like that's probably pretty high for a six-year-old. Um, okay, and then let's keep suctioning. Um, oh gosh, I'm trying to remember my organophosphate poisoning. Um, so I think it's a, um, cholinergic toxicity and... So um, we probably need to give something anticholinergic, but I could, nev- I could never keep straight which one was which. <laughs> um, but if she's having lots of secretions, I would suspect that this is cholinergic. Um, we could give her some glycopyrrolate to try to help with her secretions. I just don't know how quickly that's going to work. Um, and I'm trying to remember my antidote. <laughs> um, oh, gosh. Don't sketchy. Think, think of the wo- sketchy.
0: If only there was uh, somebody we could call for these cases.
1: Poison control. Let's call poison control.
0: (laughs) Uh, This is poison control.
1: Hi, I have a six-year-old female who we presume incidentally ingested uh, organophosphate-containing pesticide that was in her home. Um, She arrived here and was acutely altered with a GCS of eight and with saturations on in like the seventy to eighty percent range on non-rebreather, we intubated her for airway protection and have put her on ventilation. But she still has excessive secretions and is sitting in the eighties. Um, otherwise, her vital signs are relatively stable. She's borderline bradycardic in the sixties, but um, her blood pressures are stable. Um, and we'd appreciate your help on um, treating this.
0: Well, uh, how much atropine have you given?
1: None yet. <laughs> um, but we can give, um, I know a, we use a milligram for adults. What is the pediatric dosing?
0: Uh, in general, uh, pediatric dosing for atropine is 0. 0.02 megs per kilogram. But for organophosphate poisoning, I'd recommend at least 0.05 megs per kg. And I would double that every five minutes until you see some clinical effect.
1: Okay. We will do that. Um, are there other things that you want us to uh, be aware of or things that you want us to follow in her?
0: Uh, yeah, there, there is another antidote for organophosphate poisoning, but it's it's on the tip of my tongue and I, I'm forgetting it. Do you think you could help me there?
1: Oh, I'm trying to remember and I can't. Uh, God, I can't remember it either. Um it-
0: I, thi- I think ahead. it's something called pralidoxime.
1: Yes, I that sounds familiar. Um, and I believe that works on the nicotinic receptors because you have to hit both of the receptors. Um, is that Do you know the dosing for that as well?
0: We'll handle it.
1: Okay, that'd be great. Um, so I'll have my nurse go ahead and pull up. Um, you said 0.05 mg per kg?
0: Correct. Of atropine? I, okay. I would double that every five minutes until you see some sort of clinical effect.
1: Okay. Um, so I'm assuming we want to see some improvement in her heart rate, um, and we can kind of titrate to that as well, because um, as a six-year-old, she should definitely have a heart rate over 60 um, significantly. So let's go ahead and give our first dose of atropine 0.05 mix per kg. No effect. Okay. Um, so we'll redose again. No effect. Okay. Uh, redose again.
0: <laughs> You're starting to see slightly less bronchorrhea.
1: Okay. Um, and then are we having any changes in our heart rate?
0: It's slowly coming up.
1: Okay. Um, let's dose again.
0: Okay. Her heart rate's up to about 80, and her secretions have stopped, and she is saturating 100% now.
1: Okay. Awesome. Um, all right. And then, um, toxicology or our poison control is going to handle our dosing for the pralidoxime.
0: Yes. It was already given.
1: Okay. Um, so now that she's a little bit more stabilized, just making sure I'm being thorough, I'm going to do the rest of my exam. So, um, what are her pupils?
0: Uh, pupils are one millimeter and re- sluggish, but reactive symmetric.
1: Okay. Um, Do I see any external signs of trauma?
0: No trauma. She's just covered in stool, urine, and vomit.
1: Okay. Um, And then our breath sounds um, again?
0: Uh, The rails have improved following the atropine.
1: Okay. Um, All right. Any abdominal tenderness?
0: None that you can notice. She's currently pretty sedated.
1: Yeah okay um so I'd like to call Pick you to get her admitted
0: and pick you accepts and that ends your case
1: Woo! Whew. That was... <laughs> I definitely should have been nervous
0: <laughs> <laughs> that was a that was a doozy um, before we begin talking about the case, I just have a quick word from our sponsor Pearson Rabbits Insurance Pearson Rabbits is my own personal own occupation disability insurance broker. As a resident, I worked with Stephanie Pearson at Pearson Rabbits to secure a low rate for my own occupation disability insurance. It is very important to get this while you are a resident because the rates increase when you are an attending and you can lock in the low rate while you are still in residency. Pearson Rabbits doesn't just do disability insurance, but they also do life insurance. I am currently in the process of obtaining a life insurance policy through Pearson Rabbits. The best part about all of this is that none of the employees at Pearson Rabbits make any extra money for selling you one policy over another policy. They are truly looking out for your best interests. Over the years, Zach and I have been contacted numerous times by different companies asking for sponsorship deals. As we've stated in the past, We would not advertise a product or a company that we did not truly believe in. Pearson Rabbits is the real deal. Stephanie Pearson and the staff there are wonderful human beings. Please check out Pearson Rabbits at www.pearsonrabbits.com and be sure to mention EM clerkship when you schedule a consultation appointment. Thank you for your time, and now back to the episode. So, Maddie, oh my goodness. This was a, a handful of a case. I will say that I think you did really good up front in preparing for this resuscitation. Um, this was one of those things that you either knew it or you didn't know it. And I was actually surprised at your ability to kind of work your way through and try to figure this out because you actually, you, you got pretty darn far for not explicitly knowing this. Um, overall, how do you think you did? What, what are your thoughts on the case?
1: Yeah, that was really difficult. And um, I think I kind of have learned to approach all of my medical and trauma resuscitations with kind of going back to the basics. And certainly as a new second year, I'm getting to run a lot of these sicker traumas and medical patients and had some pediatric patients. And it's hard because you don't necessarily, you may have never seen what they're coming in with, but if you can at least learn to manage the basics, you can get part of the way there until you can kind of lean on your attendings and your consultants and things like that. So that was kind of what I was trying to do.
0: Yeah. I, and you know, having a a sick kid coming in, is like paralyzing, right? Everything yeah. just time almost stops. It's like you need to take a second, take a deep breath, kind of go back to the basics. So I completely agree. Um, it's a couple things. I mean, so the the final diagnosis was organophosphate poisoning, and the the whole point of this case, I I was going to give you that no matter what. I wasn't expecting you to clinically diagnose organophosphate poisoning, especially (laughs) as a brand new second year. Um, But there were a couple teaching points for this case kind of on one side of the, the coin regarding the treatment and the management of organophosphate poisoning. And then on the other side, kind of just general pediatric resuscitation skills. So while You know you did not have the the antidotes kind of memorized for organophosphate poisoning i think you still did an awesome job resuscitating this kid um let's let's kind of break down the case and talk about our critical actions here and kind of go through this a little bit um so my five critical actions were Number one, obtaining either a weight or a Brazlo color up front. That is one of the first things you should be doing in any pediatric resuscitation. So you did an awesome job with that. Number two, which in the chaos of things was forgotten, but I would always kind of keep this in the, the forefront of your mind for any age patient that comes in, you know, Glucose. Altered. I thought of yes. it as
1: soon as you started saying it. Yeah,
0: yep. So glu- uh, getting an AccuCheck up front, that was another critical action. Um, the third critical action was choosing the correct endotracheal tube size. And s- without you memorizing the formula, you still picked the correct endotracheal tube size. <laughs> that was <So>. very
1: lucky. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it had something to do with fours and I couldn't remember where the fours went. And I was like, I'm going to get this wrong.
0: The formula for a correct endotracheal tube size is age divided by four plus four. And that would give us, so six divided by four is going to be 1.5 plus four. That's going to be 5.5. And that's for an uncuffed tube. And then you subtract 0.5 to get a cuff tube. So that's going to be 5.0 for a cuff tube, which you picked correctly. Um, I actually, you know, back in the day, I think they used to use uncuffed tubes for kids pretty often, but I don't. I don't actually know if that's a thing anymore, even in the, the neonato world, at least on my NICU rotation as a at the end of my third year of residency, they said they still use they use cuff tubes nowadays. So I don't know if anyone's using uncuffed tubes, um, but that's I, I will clarify that on the deep dive. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But anyway, that was the third critical action, choosing the correct endotracheal tube size and then advancing to the correct depth, which is usually three times the diameter of the tube. And so you you also got that. You're, you picked your tube at five and you advanced to 15. If you advanced deeper, I would have sent you a X-ray with a right main stem and you would have had to fix that. So good job there. Um, and then the, the last two critical actions were Regarding the organophosphate poisoning itself. So the fourth one administering atropine and there's a specific Endpoint to the atropine and this this is board fodder but this is very common information to be tested The the end point of atropine you keep giving atropine until the bronchial secretions stop. That's your endpoint. It's mm. not like it's not a max dose um, in fact uh, I had an attending in residency who had a case kind of similar to this, but it was a true pediatric organophosphate poisoning. And they said their hospital actually ran out of atropine and they were sourcing atropine from adjacent hospitals. That's how much. Atropine, oh my gosh. Yeah. That, that these patients need. So it's a lot. And then the last critical action is administering the antidote itself, which is uh, pralidoxime, And we're going to be talking a lot more about the, the nuances of organophosphate poisoning and how the atropine works, how the pralidoxime works, and kind of how both of those play into the management during the deep dive. So I'm not going to go into too much depth there. Overall, I I think you did really good, as I said, with the pediatric resuscitation portion of this, Um, but this, the the organophosphate stuff, this is, this is bored fodder. You know, this is probably not something you're going to see in your career. Uh, If I recall correctly, there's like 5,000 cases in the U.S. a year. It's not common at all. It might be a once in a career type of thing. So I do not blame you for not knowing this as a second year, but absolutely by time you're done residency, this is, this is bored boards all the way you need to know this
1: yeah and it's just a good case because i think that's it's similar to a lot of the pediatric resuscitations that i've seen so far i mean kids usually it's altered mental status and or respiratory compromise because those are typically the things we see more common in kids compared to the cardiac things on um the adult side and so still kind of trying to work through that differential i think is really helpful
0: yeah, I think you you actually went through that pretty well. Um, as far as you know, why is this kid obtunded, and why is this kid having? you know, respiratory difficulty, like 100% foreign body, you got to check. That's that's like the the first thing that comes to mind for me, especially, you know, in this case where the kid was completely fine beforehand and there was a sudden change, you know? So I, I think you did a really good job of working through that. And I think that that's kind of a pattern with you. I think you, you are very thorough with your differentials. And I, I think that's one of the reasons you tend to do so well on these cases.
1: Well, thanks. I was definitely like, okay, they're not seizing. They're not like an anaphylaxis. I don't really know what else is going on with them. I don't know why they have so many secretions. Like,
0: <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I I, was kind of, the way the case was written was uh, basically needing emergent intubation. And a, the second the patient's intubated, the the father comes in and basically tells you the diagnosis. So um, I guess if this was real life, it, it becomes a little more apparent that this This kid needs to be intubated like now, but uh, you were, you were working through the differential while we were kind of maintaining her respiratory status, which is fine. But when you have this patient in front of you, this is like an airway now, figure out the problem later kind of scenario. Yeah. Anyways, how is second year treating you so far? How are you liking it? Are you having fun doing now getting to lead the resuscitations?
1: Yeah, it's been really fun. It's certainly stressful um and it's really more of just like getting pulled in so many different directions um but it's been exciting to see these sicker patients and get to have more experience with it and also getting to work with our interns and like feeling like I still feel like going into second year that I have I don't know anything and I have so far to go but like whenever you have your interns and they're asking you questions. You're like, wow, I have come far. Like I have learned <laughs> things. I do have things to share and teach. So it's been really good so far.
0: Yeah, you, you, you quickly learn how far you've come just every year when the, the next class comes on, even as a third year, you know, at least myself, I didn't feel like I grew much between second and third year. And then I saw the brand new second years and I was like, oh my gosh, I actually have. This is this yeah. is great. Residency is doing its job. It is training me. Yeah, yeah.
1: It's definitely a trust the process kind of thing. And I've been told that since the beginning, but I was like, I don't know. And mm-hmm. then you're like, okay, trust the process.
0: 100%. I 100% agree. Um, anyway, we, we kind of went over on time on the case. I kind of let it play out a little bit. Um, yeah. So I am going to cut this episode here. Before I do. I want to give a quick shout out to Maris Schuwarger for helping with some of the voice acting for this episode. Maris is one of the many awesome nurses that Zach and I have the privilege of working with in real life and we really appreciate her assistance with this episode. Maris is also very involved in the medical education world, more on the nursing side of things, but she is a badass and if you are interested In more awesome content, especially for our nurse listeners out there, please give her a follow. You can find her at Maris, that's M-E-R-I-S, underscored, leveled, L-E-V-E-L-E-D, underscore up. So Maris underscore leveled, underscored up on Instagram. And with that being said, I think that wraps up the case for the month. There will be a lot more content, as I already said, on organophosphate poisoning in this month's deep dive, but until then, keep working hard,
1: keep studying, and be sure to enjoy your shift.